Well, it's wonderful to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord on this wonderful fall morning. Uh, it's, it's great to look out at the congregation and see so many uh, visitors, but it's also wonderful to see uh, the Browns, I think, are with us after a long absence. So it's, it's wonderful to see you back. Please stand with me and join with me in the call to worship that is printed in your bulletin. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Father, this morning it is so true that it's hard to look around our world and it's hard to look around nature and, and the wonderful friends and family that we have in our midst and not feel an incredible abundance of gratitude. Let us never forget where all the good things and the wonderful things and the glorious things that we enjoy come from and help us be dutiful and uh, willing to offer that praise and gratitude that we need so that we can serve others better and have a great attitude as we attempt to make this world a more livable place for you. In your precious name, amen.
Take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship before you're seated this morning. just a, a couple of things that I want to highlight in the life of the church. It's a reminder that we're in the middle of uh, collections for Operation Christmas Child. Information in the bulletin is in the bulletin about that. Also, a group of students at the college have organized uh, a plan to pray for all of the, the students at Houghton College. And they've asked us to be a part of that, and we have gladly accepted that invitation. As you leave this morning, there's a basket in the foyer with blue cards in it, and each of the cards has five names written on it of college students. I want to encourage you to take one of those cards, and if we run out, we'll, we'll get some more. Uh, but uh, take one of those cards and to pray for those students. And uh, through the course of, of many, many people, all of the students will be prayed for. So we want to encourage you to do that. We're also just on the cusp of beginning our own three-week, 24-hour-a-day prayer vigil. This is the fourth year that we have done this, and it's been an exciting time for many of us as God has spoken to our hearts and done work in our hearts and lives and in our church as we come together and pray during this intense time during three weeks. If if you've not yet participated in in one of the prayer vigils, I would encourage you to sign up. But you may be wondering, you know, sign up for hours, time slots. You may be wondering how to do that, how to... Pray for an hour. Uh, there are lots of, of way, things in the prayer room to help you through that. There are prayer guides. There are all kinds of interactive things that you can do, including uh, things of art and uh, ways you can express yourself in your prayers through written words. There's a lot of things. If you, if you haven't been in the prayer room, it's, it's just downstairs from the foyer, and uh, you can feel free to go down and look around. We're, a lot of things will be the same, but we're making some changes as well, adding some new dimensions into, into the prayer rooms. But you can sign up today for an hour or more right in the back four years you leave this morning. You can also sign up online anytime or call the church office and the insert in your bulletin has the information about it. And next Sunday at 6 o'clock is when we begin. And we are hoping that by next Sunday, most of that first week will be filled up. And right now we're only taking, uh, we're signing up for the first week of the vigil beginning next Sunday night at 6. So we really hope that you will be a part of this time and take advantage of this opportunity to, um, to have some intense times of praying and us praying together as a congregation. There are many prayer concerns that are listed in the bulletin, things related to us as well as things related to the world. And uh, we know that God cares and is involved in each of them. I want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together in unison. Heavenly Father, our sin is ever before us. An unkind word, a jealous spirit, a harsh reply, a twisted truth, an apathetic response, an unrealistic expectation, a sinful choice. Set us free from the insecurities that drive us and forgive us for the self-centered ways in which we too often live. Let us hear once again your words of pardon. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen.
If you'd like, you can join me for the Old Testament reading. It can be found in 1 Chronicles 9. I will, however, be only reading selected verses so that uh, you can skip around and follow as you'd like or just listen. All Israel was listed in the genealogies recorded in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. They were taken captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. Now the first to resettle on their own property in their own towns were some Israelites, priests, Levites, and temple servants. The priests, who were heads of families, were able men responsible for ministering in the house of God, including Levites and gatekeepers. The gatekeepers were stationed at the king's gate on the east. Shalom and his fellow gatekeepers from his family were responsible for guarding the thresholds of the tents, just as their ancestors had been responsible for guarding the entrance to the dwelling of the Lord. In earlier times, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, was the official in charge of the gatekeepers, and the Lord was with him. Zechariah was the gatekeeper at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Altogether, these chosen to be gatekeepers at the thresholds numbered 212. They were registered by genealogy in their villages. The gatekeepers had been assigned to their positions of trust by David and Samuel the seer. They and their descendants were in charge of guarding the gates of the house of the Lord, the house called the Tent of Meeting. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, east, west, north, and south. Their fellow Levites in their villages had to come from time to time and share their duties for 70-day periods. I'm sorry, seven-day periods. But the four principal gatekeepers who were Levites were entrusted with the responsibility for the rooms and treasuries in the house of God. They would spend the night stationed around the house of God because they had to guard it and they had charge of the key for opening it each morning. Some of them were in charge of the articles used in the temple service. They counted them when they were brought in and when they were taken out. Others were assigned to take care of the furnishings and all the other articles of the sanctuary, as well as the special flour and wine and the olive oil, incense, and spices. But some of the priests took care of mixing the spices. A Levite named Mattathiah, the firstborn son of Shalom the Korahite, was entrusted with the responsibility for baking the offering bread. Some of the Kahathites, their fellow Levites, were in charge of preparing for every Sabbath the bread set out on the table. Those who were musicians, heads of Levite families, stayed in the rooms of the temple and were exempt from other duties because they were responsible for the workday and night. All these were heads of Levite families, chiefs as listed in their genealogy, and they lived in Jerusalem. Please stand and join with me as the ushers come forward in the Gloria Patri.
have the opportunity to spend some time praying together. And if you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Father, we thank you that you are faithful to us, that you have promised your hand of grace and protection upon us, that we have in you a place of shelter. We know, Lord, that this doesn't mean that we are exempt from the reality of living in a fallen world. We still face struggles and pain and heartache and loss. We know that in the midst of all of it, you are present with us. You are giving us courage and strength. And you filled us with your peace and your mercy and your grace as we wrestle with the realities of living in this fallen world. Father, as we come today, there are burdens on each of our minds and hearts. Things for our own lives, things for others we care deeply for. Things for this community, things for the wider community in the world. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Father, we pray for your loving, merciful care over all of your children who face great difficulties in this fallen world. For those who suffer innocently because of cruelty and evil. For people caught in the crossfire of conflict and war. For people who are hungry for people who are homeless. We pray for your healing, for restoration. We pray that you will supply the very basic needs of each one. And Father, we pray that you will burden us and burden your people throughout the world to feel so much compassion that we can't help but beg you to let us be agents of peace and grace and healing and love. Father, this is our prayer that we offer today through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Remembering the prayer that he taught all of his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The New Testament scripture this morning is from 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Please stand with me and join in the Please be seated. When you come to the end of a movie, do you stay and watch all the credits roll by? I suspect most of us don't. Unless we know someone whose name is going to be coming by on the credits we sort of consider that part superfluous to the film. We, you know, when you're reading a book, do you you ever think about the people who put the ink on the pages and bound the pages together to make it a book? I suspect not, because we are interested in the author and we're interested in what the author writes, but we don't think that much about how it got to us. If you're watching an opera or some kind of a stage production, do you think that much about the person who opens and closes the curtain? Only if they don't do it when they're supposed to, right? It's just not on our radar to think about that. If you go to an event in a stadium, maybe you go to a football game or a concert... Do you think about the people who were in that stadium cleaning it up before you got there? Probably not. Unless four or five weeks have gone by and they haven't touched it. Then you might think about it a little bit. 
See, the reality is in our culture and the way our minds think, we tend to, to give little value to work that we can't see. The work that's behind the scenes. And yet, what kind of movie would you have if the only people involved in the production were the people in front of the camera? And what would we read if we didn't have people to put the ink on the pages and to bind them into a book? And and how would a play really speak to us if the curtain just keeps closing and opening at various times? And how enjoyable would an event be in a stadium if it's, you know, if there's stuff lying around you for weeks and weeks and weeks and never been touched? We don't think about those things, but when we do, we realize how important they are to the success and the value of what we are doing. And we do the same thing in the church. We do the same thing all the time. We, we think a lot about the people that we see doing ministry, but we probably give little thought to the people that we don't see. And all the work that gets done behind the scenes. I think something of that was in the back of my mind as I was reading earlier this summer. I've, I've been reading through the Bible again this year. And when I came to First Chronicles, I was reading through those first chapters, which I suspect is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't read through the Bible every year. Because you, it's just this list of genealogies, you know, for eight and a half chapters. It's just names after names after names. And... And this morning, we, we cut out a number of those names from chapter 9 for our benefit as well as for Jamie's. And I have to read all of those. But, you know, you, you get, I got to that part of that passage. And I was reading along about the people coming back from exile. And they were reestablishing the temple in Jerusalem and setting things back up. And the priests are back. And, and we understand the work of the priests. They're the ones who do the sacrifices. When you come to the temple, you present to them your lamb or you present to them your grain offering or your thank offering or whatever it is you're bringing. And they're the ones that you see, you hand it to them and they do the work in the temple that makes you feel like you've done what you should do. And you have the gatekeepers and we get that as well. There's the guys who stand guard outside the temple and outside the gates and they guard the treasury and, and they're there day and night and we see them all the time. And I'm reading along in this, and all of a sudden I come to verse 31, and it says, A Levite named Mathahiah, the firstborn son of Shalom, the Korahite, was entrusted with the responsibility for baking the offering bread. And some of their Kohathite brothers were in charge of preparing for every Sabbath the bread set out on the table. And it occurred to me that even though I've known the bread was in the temple for years, it never struck me how the bread got there. And the writer tells us, And I suspect that most people going to the temple, they go in and they see the bread and don't give a thought to how the bread got there. They just see the bread. The bread in the temple was something, the way God planned the worship space from the very beginning. There are censers and there's incense burning and there's places for the sacrifices and and there's the bread. And the bread seems to be there in order to remind God's people that he provides for them. He provides for them. He's provided for them while they were in Egypt. He provided for them in the wilderness. He continues to provide for them every day. And bread is sort of this universal food that we use to describe anything that nourishes us. And so we prayed in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. He's not just talking about necessarily limiting it to bread, but all the ways in which we are nourished. And when the, when the people walk into the temple and they see the stacks of bread in the temple, they remember God takes care of us. God provides for us. God is the one who brings, sends the rain. God is the one who makes the crops grow. God is the one who ultimately puts the food on our table. And worship without the bread isn't worship as God intended it. Because worship isn't just God takes care of my soul. It's God takes care of every part of my being. And so the bread is there. But somebody has to make the bread. It doesn't just appear out of nowhere. I was reminded, as I was working on this, I was reminded of an incident that happened when when John was about four or five years old, he said it would be okay for me to tell you this. Uh, we were in the, I think we were in the car one day and we'd been talking about something that he wanted. 
that we or we wanted as a family. We, we said, you know, we just don't have the money to buy that right now. And after giving that a moment's thought, he looked at us and he said, well, just go to the bank and get some money. How hard can that be? He'd watch us walk into the bank, hand him a slip of paper, and they hand us green cash back. So why don't just do that, right? Try to explain to him you have to have money in the bank for them to give you money. It's not just anybody's money. It has to be our money. But I think there's something in our mindset uh, and the people, I'm sure, in their mindset about the bread. It just sort of appears. And when we think about where it came from. And when you consider the fact that in those days they didn't have a KitchenAid. And they don't have the same kinds of electric and gas ovens that we have. Baking bread was a whole different kind of thing. This is from an excavation, I believe, in 1941. And you see this clay figurine of a man, a person rolling bread, preparing the dough, baking it. It was a big process. And yet somebody made that bread and saw that not just as something they had to do, but something they were called to do, something they were privileged to do. Even though nobody probably paid any attention to it. It was just there. And there are all kinds of things that go on in the church. That are behind the scenes. That most of us don't know about. Unless we're involved in it. And we might know about this part of it. Because we're involved in that. But we don't know about all those other things going on. And this morning I just want to say. Thank you. To every one of you who is involved in ministry in general for the kingdom, but also in ministry in ways that is behind the scenes. Ministry that doesn't get a lot of recognition. Ministry that doesn't bring to you a whole lot of accolades that people see, but important, valuable ministry nonetheless. I want to thank all of you who teach Sunday school. Thank those of you who work in the nursery Changing diapers and dealing with children who may be struggling with being away from their parents for a while. Thank you to those of you who, who give of yourselves on Wednesday night with our boys and girls clubs. Who deal with pretty energetic children and try to stay up with them and to give your energy to them. And thank you to those of you who work in children's church. Thank you to those of you who, who work running the sound system and the PowerPoint slides. People who deliver meals on wheels. People who, who go and pick up people and take them shopping because they aren't able to do that on their own. People who work in the library. So that we have this wonderful place of, of learning and knowledge and everything is categorized and cataloged. And they, and they choose great books for us to read. Thank you for those who work with the youth group. Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Thank you to those of you who come in early Tuesday morning and make pancakes for the youth prayer breakfast and stay after and clean up. And nobody knows. Thank you for people who, who ever so often go out of the nursery and take all the toys home and clean them. And nobody knows. Thank you to everybody, those of you who who are involved in ministry, in making the kingdom what God has intended it to be, and in helping us be the church that God created us to be. Thank you. You know, Paul tells the Corinthians in chapter 12 that, that the gifts that we think are weaker and less important are really indispensable. Indispensable. Most of us don't tend to think that way. Most of us think about what we do as it doesn't really matter if I do it or not. But the reality is it's indispensable to the, to the mission of the church and to the advancement of the kingdom. And when we are doing those things, particularly those under the radar, behind the scenes, inconspicuous kinds of work. When we are doing those things, then we are a part of, of beginning to answer the prayer that we prayed a few moments ago that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And we are changing people's lives and we are allowing us to be the church that we were created to be and to move the kingdom forward because people are willing to work behind the scenes. Thank you. 
you know, we may not get a lot of accolades now. And people may not know what we do, but the one thing we can be sure of is that nothing we do is invisible to God. He sees it. He sees the time that we spend putting together a Sunday school lesson. He watches us chasing little children around the church. He sees us investing ourselves in the teenagers of our church. He sees us going behind people and and, and cleaning up after them. He sees us putting inserts in the bulletins. He sees us working in the library. He sees all of it. Even if nobody else does, he sees it. And when, in Colossians 3.17, Paul is talking to, to the, the church about how they are to live and how they're to act and how they're to treat each other. And he comes to verse 17 and he says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. And everything we do for the kingdom brings glory to God. It stuns me when I really begin to comprehend that, that what we do, everything we do, not the stuff that's big, not the stuff necessarily that everybody sees. It's not limited to that. It does that, but not limited to that. But all the small, common, ordinary things that we do bring glory to God. And I think when God watches us do things behind the scenes, off the radar of most people, I think it brings tremendous joy to his heart. Now, I can almost see this huge smile on God's face as we do ministry of the kingdom simply because it's right. And because we care. And because we want to bring glory to God. And I just want to say thank you. As we take communion this morning, one of the reasons we're doing this is because this table is is level ground. You know, everybody comes to the table as equals. There's no greater gift or lesser gifts at this table. There's no, I do this, you do that at this table. There is no, my job's more important than your job. It's just the table of the Lord where we come and, and as, as people who are in need of the grace of God and we come as equals to this table. All that we do important to the kingdom, all that we do equally valuable to the kingdom, all that we do bringing glory to God at this table. Because we come to this table, all of us, as sinners in need of God's grace. We're taking intention this morning as you, you come to the front, you tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and eat it. We're, and, we're gonna, and we're doing it that way because we're watching everybody walk to the front. And as people walk to the front, be reminded that every one of these people has a part to play in the kingdom. And some of what people do is more visible. Lots of it is not visible. But it's all a part of the kingdom. It's all a part about, of, of making the church what God wants the church to be. I'll just add a, a footnote to that. If, if coming to the front is difficult for you, we've got a tray in the back and we will be happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know. But as we watch each other take communion, we re- remember that God is at work in all of us and God uses all of us and we're all valuable to the kingdom. And all that we do is significant to him. And that's also why we talk about practicing open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It's because we're all in need of God's grace. And we all need what Christ is offering us at the table. And whether you're a Wesleyan or anything else, if you come this morning with, with a burden in your heart for the grace of God in your life, then come. Come to this table of our Lord that he invites us together. So as I was working on this sermon, my mind went back to the, the first day that I went to college. Far too long ago, I'm realizing. It was a Sunday. My parents dropped me off there at campus. I was out at, in Oregon at George Fox, and we had just moved to Oregon a couple of months before. I didn't know anyone. Didn't know my roommate, didn't know anyone on campus. And 
you know, it was a little bit overwhelming at times. But I remember the next day as classes started, one of the parts of, of you know, paying for the education was had a work-study job on campus. I would suspect a number of you had those as well. And I was assigned arbitrarily to work for maintenance. Now, fortunately, they didn't assign me to building anything or to doing plumbing or electrical work or any of those kinds of things because they would not want me doing that. I walked in, and I don't know how they knew this, but they walked in, they said, we've assigned you to work with Everett. Okay, and who's Everett? He's over there. So I walk over to this guy. I would guess 60-ish, thin, wiry-looking guy. Um, And he introduced himself, and he told me that his job was was in charge of doing all the setups on campus. So many tables and chairs set up, he was the man. So many needed a room situated a certain way, he was the man. And so for that... That year of college, I worked with Everett, and we set up all kinds of rooms, carrying chairs and tables from this room to that room and this building to that building, you know, all over campus. But what intrigued me was that one thing I noticed about Everett is that whatever we were working, I could always count on him either whistling, singing, or engaging in some kind of dynamic conversation with somebody. He just loved life. And he loved being around people and he loved to visit with people. I can remember many times carrying a table or a couple of tables from one building across campus to another one. Something that would probably take 10 minutes might take us 25 minutes because there were always people to talk to along the way. And it was never, you're never too much in a hurry to set those tables down and have a conversation. And he, he just loved talking to people. And he was always talking or singing or whistling, something like that. I remember times when we get a work order that was last minute and it was due in a very short amount of time. And I'm thinking to myself, they couldn't plan better than that. And his response was, all right, son, we got some work to do. Let's go. And off he'd go, whistling out the door. And I worked with him my freshman year. I worked with him my sophomore year. And my junior year, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And I eventually, obviously, he, he had to quit his job and he went to the, into the hospital. And I went to see him a few times and it was the same thing. You know, he wanted to know about me, he wanted about my life. And we would talk about what was going on at the college. And later that spring, I went to his funeral. And I thought back about that funeral service. Most of the maintenance group was there. Some people from the college, some folks from his church, his family. It wasn't a huge funeral, hugely attended funeral. Nobody got up at the funeral and said, talked about the the earth-shattering things that Everett had done with his life. He just lived an ordinary life, common life. But I can tell you this. I'm certain when he met his maker, he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. And in the end, that's really all that matters. And I've been thinking a lot about him lately and about why I do what I do and how I do what I do and even what I do. And the attitude and the spirit of that. And it just reminded me how valuable. How valuable every person is in the kingdom. To making the kingdom what God intends it to be. And so thank you. Thank you for being people who bake the bread. And bring it to the temple. For the glory of God. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Let them flow.
we give you thanks to the creator and sustainer of all things you love the world so much you gave your son Jesus Christ to be our savior and you raised him from the dead that we might have life with him and he ascended to be with you in glory and according to his promise is with us always we remember the night in which Jesus was betrayed He took bread and he gave thanks to you and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup and again he gave thanks. And he gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. This is my blood and the new covenant shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Father, as we remember all of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, accept this, our sacrifice of thanksgiving. Father, send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts. That in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ, that we may be one body in him, cleansed by his blood, and that we will faithfully serve him in the world. And look forward to his coming in final victory. In his name we pray. Amen. my gold, not a might would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Every power as thou shalt choose. Take my
I invite you to stand and turn with me to hymn number 339 as we declare our God of power, truth, and grace. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.